0: Hi, how you doing folks? This is James Kennison and this is Gospel of Kennison number 36. Thanks for joining me today. I want to talk about something that's kind of getting on my it's been getting on my nerves for the better part of a year. Now, many of you know that uh, April of 2000 whatever, I don't know, a year ago, I had to step down from my position as children's pastor due to complications arising from depression, anxiety, and bipolarism. It was a wonderful year. I say that with hard sarcasm. But the biggest problem that we've had recently is trying to come from that side of church where we were working in it to now attending a church. And at first I blamed us. I was like, you know what? We're putting too much on the church because we need healing. We need instant friends we need support we had to walk away from everything we knew we're starting over and we were you know i was depressed and blah, blah, and my wife was suffering and all this kind of stuff my kids were having to you know make the best of it and so we'd go to a church and it just didn't do anything or it was just simple and 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 surface and and the relationships seemed to be simple and surface, and so we we would just leave. And for a while, we quit. We even tried to do church, just the the four of us. I I made up a a lesson. We went out to eat and and sat there and sipped sodas and talked about stuff. And I made uh, little handouts and had a quiz for each kid because one's you know six and the other's nine, and each uh, each. Question, though it seemed random to them, was custom made just for them and their and their abilities and all this. I even had, uh, like I said, little handouts uh, where the scripture was little pictures that they had to figure out. And I worked with Jenna, and Jen worked with Jay, and they loved it. And if they were good, they got dessert. and um, And it worked out. It was cool, but it didn't fulfill. It wasn't church. You know, the Bible says, "Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together." And people take that and they say, well, you got to go to church. And I, I am one that will say I, I don't agree that that is the case. Meaning that I do not agree that church is always just the building with the sign in the front and the steeple on top. Church can be a home group. Church can be a community of missionaries. And people working together to serve others, uh, a church can be a lot of things. And I've read a lot of great books. Um, one of them is called Exiles. Another one is called Tangible Kingdom. And it talks about, you know, the way that church in America specifically has gotten away from its roots, and we've heard that for years. But what it's talking about is it's become a community. And you say, well, what's wrong with that? I mean, that's that's the whole point of church, to become a community. Well, no, 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 it, it actually wasn't. Jesus said, go and make disciples of every nation, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all I've commanded, and I will be with you until the end of the age. He didn't say, stay put. And and have a potluck. And I don't believe there's anything wrong with that. What I'm saying is that sometimes what I have seen being on the other side and now on this side of ministry is that churches sometimes just get in the hole or the rut of making sure that they survive. And other people don't do this. But the church does, the pastors do. And we're men and women just like anybody else. And we're in a culture in America where results are the way that you show that you're successful. And so pastors get stuck in that and numbers become an issue. We wanna have people here, we wanna have growth. Because if I've heard people say it, if you're not growing, you're dead. So if your church isn't growing by at least three people a week, you know, blah, 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 you're a dead church, which is so short-sighted. Because what about the tiny church in some tiny little, little mining town that's burnt out, and they'll never have any more people there. They'll never have a boom, and that church has been churning away with 25 people, family after family after generation after generation, and a faithful pastor in there. You know what? There's other kinds of growth other than numbers. I've always said what makes ministry really good, you couldn't take a picture of. That means the stuff that's going on inside people's hearts and lives and the connections that they're making and the people that their lives are changing. Because I believe something pretty basic is that when you become a Christian, all of a sudden the gospel isn't about you anymore. It was about you. It was about you. The the gospel. I'm talking about Jesus died on the cross for your sins, blah blah blah. You finally bent your knee, you asked Jesus into your heart, boom. The gospel is now about everybody else. Because it's it's been done in you. You've you know, Jesus said it is finished, you know. You, you gave your life to Christ. You are now a Christian, and now you're supposed to be trained to spread that gospel. To other people. That's what you're supposed to do. But what we do is we tell them, no, 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 you can't do that. You have to, you have to learn some stuff. You know, you have to, you have to be like us. You have to get like us, and then you can go out. You got to learn how to do it. You have to do it just like us. So numbers become an issue for pastors. They, my my wife has said a couple of times, she thinks money comes into it. And a lot of people think with pastors that money comes into it. And I think money is an issue for some of our pastors that we've seen. Surely it is. We've heard of pastors getting in trouble, but I'm talking about for the, for the most part, money is secondary because if you know men, money is secondary to importance and feeling important and, and purposeful and all that kind of stuff. And so when you got the big church, when you go to the meetings with the other pastors once a month and you got the biggest church, you get prestige. Actually, you get hated on by all the other pastors, but but yeah. yeah it was the same reason why so many movies, I mean every G-rated movie turns a profit. A great profit. Even the cheapest made G-rated movie makes an insane amount of profit. But people don't make G-rated movies very often. You know why? Because when you're at the cocktail party, you want to be the one that made the edgy new thriller that has gotten all the excitement and all that. And So you didn't make as much money, but you got the prestige. So yeah, money is secondary. Importance, power, influence is number one. It's the same sometimes with some pastors. So, I say all that to say that as we're going to these churches, the other thing that we've noticed is this, like I mentioned, this surfaceness, that you go there and they're putting on a show. I mean, they literally are. They literally are putting on a show. It is one hour long exactly, and there are themed everything, graphics, handouts, all kinds of stuff, three songs, you know, no, no, uh, expression of worship or, uh, any of, uh, any of the the gifts of the spirit, you know, or things like that. And I'm not talking about some crazy guy yelling out about God said this and God said that talking about the real stuff where people give a you know, read a scripture or share something. There's no, there's no opportunity for anybody to do anything that is not part of the structure. And then the sermon, you know, comes. They, they don't even take the offering till the end. Now I know I sound like an old guy talking about, well, that's in the way we used to do it. What it is though is this: because I don't care what order you do things in. Switch it up. That'd be, that's awesome. You know, altar call at the end. There's no, there's no challenge. The sermons are lightweight, and they're from a curriculum or a book series. They're somebody else's words. You know, they say no tears in the writer, no t- tears in the reader. Same goes for sermons. If the sermon you're writing, Pastor, doesn't change you, it's not going to change them. And if you prepared for it the night before, don't expect your congregation to take it any more seriously than you did that's what i'm seeing in these in these churches these little startup churches full of really trendy cool people and lots of really cool trendy cool stuff and all that is fine all that all the trappings are fine but it's icing it's icing and you can't really put icing without a cake you got to have substance you got to have something for the sugar to go on more sugar i guess but In my my analogy, the cake is something substantial, if you get my drift. So we've been to several churches, and they're great. Some of them are smaller. Some of them are giant. They're all doing some great things in their neighborhoods and all that kind of stuff. But it just chafes me to no end that what we have done is we've got services that cater to the people sitting through them Rather than a worship service, which by default and by title is supposed to be directed at God. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with hospitality. But the consumerism and the customer service based church is a scary trend. Because it, it plays right into that, all the stuff I talked about. You know, you get a good pastor with a good heart. And he starts getting complaints. Well, we got to be out of here by one o'clock because my kids have to eat. My I got this and that and the other, and we got stuff to do. And I don't know why we have Sunday night services because this so Sunday night services are gone, which I think is, is awesome, personally. But then we start cutting the services down and we have to cut out things. And I, I don't like the way you talk about offering so much. You shouldn't have to do that. Pastors shouldn't be so offering centric, <laughs> which is ridiculous. Pastors should be able to talk about offering Why do I say that? Because I've been on both sides. And when I was on this side, meaning sitting in the pew when I was a kid, I used to think, oh, my gosh, they're just talking about money because they want money. But being on that side, I realized you you can't do anything for the people and the community and you can't even fix the crap they're complaining about in the lobby that's hanging off the wall because nobody's given any money. They just think it should be done because it's customer service based. And I think this is a I don't know about you know other countries, but it's a uniquely um, American issue because there's a beautiful side to America. I mean, most of it, you know, a beautiful side of, of the American dream of, of pulling yourself up by your bootstraps and, 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 you know, doing better than those before you and, and all this kind of stuff. But then there's a dark side and that dark side is I'm going to do what I got to do to make mine and I'm going to do what I got to do. And if somebody else isn't doing it, if they can't do it, well, too bad. Everybody that can't or won't or has an excuse gets lumped into the same thing. Uh, It's a very black and white view of I am successful and now everybody that's not doesn't matter. And the way that plays out in church is people come and they give. And they give a lot of money and the pastors know who gives what. And so they accidentally, whether they mean it or not, or sometimes on purpose, favor those who give. And the people that give get they get uh, perks. They get influence. They get their complaints listened to. And so churches change. There's also another way they do it. They go to the neighborhood. And they ask everybody that doesn't go to church, well, why don't you go to church? And they take a list. And they hear about, well, this is too long, and this sucks, and the sermon's too long, and this, that, and the other. You can't ask a person that doesn't go to church why they don't go to church. They don't go to church because they don't go to church. They don't go to church for a million different reasons. And there is nothing you're ever going to do in your church to make a person that doesn't go to church want to go to church. But they start churches based off quizzes and surveys. Here's my thought. Here's my theory. Imagine for a minute we wipe the building out. Keep, we got pastors, but imagine instead of a pastor structure, instead of a church structure, it's more of a missionary structure. And instead of a bunch of people sitting in a pew receiving and taking in content and, 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 and you know, just receiving one direction and then leaving. And talking about, oh, that was just so good. I felt the spirit move. They played my favorite song. The music was just a little too loud, though. So I don't know if I'll go back next week. Instead of that kind of crap, imagine everybody comes together because they have to figure out how to do what they're going to do because what they're going to do is they're going to go out and reach out into the community as a group and do something. And I'm not talking about once. I'm not talking about walking through and doing a prayer walk. I'm not talking about uh, anointing the four corners of the of the of the city. And I'm not talking about praying up on Capitol Hill or whatever. All those things are fine. I'm talking about actually making contact with people and saying, "Hey, I'm a person and I see you have a need and I would like to meet it." Boom. See, when we get our hands dirty, all of a sudden we realize we're way, way, not only understaffed, but under tooled, and we need somebody to help us. That's what church used to be back in the old days. Early on, it wasn't. Early on, people were uh, bringing their, you know, they were selling all their stuff. They were giving it to the poor, and they were living together, and the Bible says that daily their numbers were added, and and, uh, you know, there's the story of the people that lied about their tithe and they died and, and all these people start coming to church. <laughs> I don't know how that works, but, it, but the Bible says they did it. Well, that didn't last long because the persecution started. People like Paul or Saul at the time even were participating. And these people, because they weren't doing what Jesus had said. They they did not they had not gone, they had pretty much settled on the fact Peter had anyway that uh, the gospel was for the Jews. Well, of course, God lifted up Saul, turned him into Paul, and they even got a big argument about it. And you know they worked it out. But Paul brought the gospel to the Gentiles, to the Romans, to the Galatians, all those people. So they got persecuted and they had to spread out. And church wasn't a comfort zone. It wasn't something that you did passively. Church back then was a necessity. It was finding out who ended up in prison this week, who was drugged out and stoned. How do we avoid this? How can we do what we're supposed to do? What am I supposed to do with my kids? What can you tell me about God that is going to help me to have enough faith to make it to the next week? And how can I take care of my family and myself and still do what Jesus told us to do? That's what church was. And that, I'm sorry, is a far cry from even the best church that I've been to recently. It's a little tiny church. That we finally found. It's not the it's not the biggest. <laughs> there are literally fifteen people or less that go to this church that we found. And uh, but it's a clean little place. It's been there for years and years. It's got a brand new pastor. The people are kind. And the sermons are legitimate. They are You can tell the man sweated through them to put them together. And no, it's not the most fantastic, glorious... I mean, they can't even hardly get their projector to work. But they have one. But they're real. And real isn't always pretty. Very rarely is. Which is why so many people aren't. But I can handle real. I think God prefers real. He can work with you if you're real. You know, just think about the things in the early church that you've heard in sermons talking about. One of them would be how they said they had meals together. There's there's whole instructions about eating. It seemed like most of the time what they did is they got together and sat at a table. And they shared songs and hymns. And if somebody had a prophecy, a.k.a. a word from God that they were supposed to speak, but not all at the same time. They were also instructed about not giving the rich man a seat and letting the poor man sit off on the floor. Nobody was supposed to have a seat that put them at any kind of advantage. The table was an equalizer. When's the last time you saw everybody equalized at a church? There's always the guy who's got his nose stuck in the air that thinks he's been there longer than everybody else. People even advertise that. They don't even tell you how long they've been a Christian. They'll say, they'll start with, hi, I'm Bill. I've been coming to this church for 15 years. Our identity is more dictated by our church attendance than how many people we've led to the Lord, how many prayers we've prayed, how many books of the Bible we've read, anything like that. Think about some of the other things in the early church. One of my favorites is tongues. Okay. Uh, you know, if there's one thing that divides everyone down the middle, it's that, it's that prayer language thing. And I'm I'm all over the place on it because I've seen it just like probably most of you have. I've seen it where it's freaky and scary. I've seen people abuse it. I've seen people try to make it seem like they're just higher and mightier than everybody else. And when I was a kid, and I was like 18, I was like, that is so fake. And I, I believe I heard, you know, it sounded like my own voice, in my own head, but I believe I heard from God when I heard, yeah, it is fake. And most of what you heard is fake. But everything that's fake is imitating something real. And I'm going to tell you this. This has been my experience. I have seen tongues used properly. And I have seen it do what the Bible says it's supposed to do. And here's what the Bible says it's supposed to do. The Bible says that tongues is a sign to the unbeliever. Let me translate that for from you. It's supposed to be something that attracts the unbeliever to Christ. And I'm going to tell you right now, tongues is the one thing that scares more people away than anything. So we must be doing it wrong. But I've seen it done right. I've seen it. I stood right next to a guy who was Baptist as anybody, and he experienced it. He saw, you know, somebody spoken a tongue, somebody else properly. You know, it wasn't this big dramatic thing, you know, and it wasn't new King James or King James. Or I always love how God always talks like a like a freaking Roman soldier or or you know, Camelot or whatever. Therefore thou, thou, thou." he saw that. And then the pastor got up and said, what you've just experienced is tongues and interpretation. The gift of the spirit is explained in, you know, first Chronicles chapter 15. Well, I don't remember. I mean, I don't remember chapter and verse, but the guy was like, Oh, wow. That that was actually really good. I, I felt something there. That was, that was good. Didn't scare him. Didn't freak him out. Didn't make him, you know, he was a visitor, so he didn't like stay there. But I think he probably would have. It was a sign to the unbeliever. It was pretty cool. So, there's a lot of stuff that doesn't fit in today's churches very well. That was from back in the day. But if you imagine a missional, that's the word now, missional. It sounds dirty, it just means having a mission in your life, the, the Great Commission. You have a, if, if, if everything you do, you, know, you try to live it as an example for, for others to follow. You try to serve. You try to find things to do for other people. If you're truly wrapped up in that instead of yourself, sure, you're making money. Sure, you're taking your kids to ball games and all that kind of stuff. But your priority... Is sharing Christ whenever you can, and it doesn't have to be chapter and verse. It's just not being a butthole after church to the waitress because she screwed up your order. Stuff like that. You know that waitresses hate Christians because we all go out to eat, we're all fat, <laughs> and and we complain. We we go in these big giant groups and we don't tip. It's ridiculous. Why? Why is that? Because we're centered on ourselves instead of God. Our services are centered on us instead of him. And as a friend of mine, David said, had a three point sermon, and it was so good. I won't quote the whole thing. I'll just tell you the three points. He just says it about the Bible, about God's word, about everything. He just says, you know, it's not about it's not about me. It's about him, God. And it's not about us, the church. He's referring to us, you know. It's about them. It's the people outside the building. And it's not about now. He was talking about the things that we prioritize and the things we want to put first. He said it's about then. He's talking about our eternal life, which is going to make our time here seem like the blink of an eye because it just never ends. So what's this G.O.K. all about? It's more than just complaining <laughs> about churches. It's, it's hopefully, I don't know, it's just a cry out to the interwebs and to the podcast of fear and all that. Just saying, guys, let's refocus on what God wants from us rather than what we want from Him. Let's praise more than we ask for. Let's give more than the tithe. People argue about tithe. Tithe is an old-fashioned concept. Or I can't afford to tithe. You can't afford not to. There are so... One thing Jen and I have always been faithful to, and I'm not bragging because it's been hard, is, is being faithful to give. We consider the tithe to be what we owe. That's just what we owe. That is a command. That's the minimum. Tithes and offerings on top of that is, I believe, an act of sacrifice. You don't get to count tithe as a sacrifice. And we've been poor. I've been poor a whole bunch of times between growing up that way and and you know early life and all that kind of stuff. But one thing Jen and I have always done is we've been faithful with our tithes and our offerings. And we have paid dearly for it sometimes. We've been audited. They didn't believe that we gave what we gave. We we have been forced to live beneath our means because we believe God told us to give this ungodly amount of money in the the span of a year once. Um, I've gotten bonuses that I've had to lay On other people's desks. And. Again. I can't brag about it. Because it hurts too bad. And I'm not. I wasn't a cheerful giver. And. um, You know. I think you miss out on blessings. When you're not cheerful giver. But I think it's better to be an obedient one. If you can't be a cheerful one. (laughs) If you still do it. I don't know, there's even even stories in the Bible about that, about the guys that said, no, we don't want to work, but then they decided at the end to, and they got paid the same as the guys that worked from the beginning. So maybe, maybe there's grace for me, the uncheerful giver. But we've been obedient, and we've been faithful, and we have seen the promises surrounding having finances submitted to god work in our lives yes there's been the negative stuff but it's almost comical you hear me laugh about it it's almost an honor for the irs not to believe and then pull you in they got these suspicious eyes and you pull out the receipts and stuff and they're like oh and it becomes a witness something that you wanted to keep secret becomes a witness It's another reason why I like talking to people about giving yeah, when I was a pastor. First of all, I was a children's pastor, so I could talk about it, you know. I could talk about it for the pastor when I got a chance to. Because everybody knew I wasn't benefiting from it. Children's and pastors don't get any of the money. That's a joke, but it feels that way. But I wanted to talk about it so much because there's so much to it. Because even your money is not about you. But see, we live in America and like any country and any culture, every culture mixes in with their Christianity, a little bit of their culture. And what we've done is we've put performance-based spirituality to work. We've also put consumer-based mentality to work in our spirituality and what we've come up with is a God that's like a big Santa Claus that does what we need him to do and when we're living right everything goes perfect every prayer is going to be answered every cancer is going to be cured and I guess this is where it all comes down to when you're self-centered and you think God it's all about you, because and he is. That's the that's the weird thing. He he totally, totally loves you. Totally would would have died for you if you were the only one he ever had to love. If you ever had, he'd still done it for you. He's done still done everything. He have sent Jesus for you, the whole thing. So there is the reality to that. But our response to that is supposed to be: I give my life. I give my time. I give my money, my wealth. I give my kids, I give my will, I give my future, I give my sins, I give my hopes and my dreams and I trade them as great as I think they are and as much hope as I have in them for something I can't say better. Because that's the thing that I've learned this year is we assume that when we give our lives to God, we we tell people this, pastors, we do it, we do it, we do it. We tell them when you come to Jesus, we give them this... Feeling like everything's going to be better. And there's too many brand new Christians that know it's not because, first of all, all your friends, you kind of quit hanging out with them, or they think you're crazy when you do and you can't do it because they're doing the things you used to do, the stuff that used to get you in trouble. And they know, they know that life as a brand new Christian is hard because there's things all of a sudden that aren't fun anymore, that aren't uh, edifying anymore, and they have to struggle and they have to work. And then there's the older Christians like me, I guess, that that we struggle because I don't like a lot of the stuff about Christianity. I don't enjoy a lot of it. I see the sense in it, and I know God's ways are best, but they're hard, and they're not fun, and they're not easy, and they're not natural, and, and they're not popular. They don't make a lot of sense to people, including me. But I know that God said to do it and not do this and all this kind of stuff. I've found that God's a whole lot more about what you do instead of what you don't do. Here's the thing I've been tiptoeing around is that when I shared publicly that I was broken as a pastor, as a man, as a Christian, father, husband, that I was dealing with major depressive disorder, that I was dealing with almost constant panic attacks, that I could not face people, that I could not get up out of bed, that I could not overcome my fears and my issues and my pains. And when I was bipolar and I would soar and I would be creative and then I would dive down in these dark, dark times where nothing was possible anymore, when I shared this, that sent me-centered community, that performance-based community, that community that believe that if you live right and do everything just perfect, that you will live some sort of wonderful, problem-free life. The people that base their very belief and faith on those concepts rather than the truth those people didn't know what to do with me because if there was a pastor who was doing everything he was supposed to do and he was doing more than what most you know normal Christian people do, that's you know that's the mentality anyway is that the pastors are super human Christians, yeah, that, that's what they do. But if that guy is struggling, oh my lord, you know, how do I handle that? I mean, that that means that I might struggle too, that means that i I just don't know what to do with this, and so the fear and the ignorance that surround depression even in outside the church you know combine that with the basics of mislabeled misled theology and you know self centeredness suddenly somebody else's problems are judged by how they affect you rather than how their problems are affecting them. Because if you focused on how the problems were affecting them, you might want to do something about it or even ask somebody and then church would become, again, a missional thing. Okay, what can we do? Well, I don't know what to do. I can't even talk to the guy. I can't even look at him. I don't know what to say. What do we do? Because we love him and we want to keep him. and But church isn't that. It's more, I can't stand him, I can't look at him, I don't know how to handle it. I've always thought people with depression are demon-possessed, or that they, um, they're they're faking it, or they just are weak. And I can't have that around me because I am trying to live the super spiritual awesome life so that I can experience the wonderfulness and the perfectness of God. This is all I'll say. I'll say this one more thing. I used to do a, used to do a little um, object lesson for kids. It'll serve well for for those of us that have things that we believe in that aren't God, that we base. See, because some of us. Well, I'll just tell you what it was. I had a stack of CDs, okay, and underneath it I had the Bible, and on top I had. Just this little block. And all this was on a stool. So you got the stool, Bible, CDs, block. Or Jenga blocks and then a little figure. Let's let's just say Jenga blocks and a little figure. But it was CDs. And I said, this is the way people have their life set up sometimes. Let's pretend that the very top, the little character, the little block at the top is you. At the bottom the Bible, that's God. We have all these things that we believe. One of them is that we believe that God is always going to allow awesome, nice things to happen to us. That's the one I'll focus on today. But we have dozens of things that if I tithe, that I will be rich. Tithing in America is always preached as almost an investment. It makes sense to give because God will give back. No, yeah, it does say that, but um, it doesn't say money. And more than anything, you're just supposed to do it because you're supposed to do it, even if you don't like it. So let's just imagine that all those little CDs or the blocks in the middle are all the, all the things that we believe about God instead of Him, instead of admitting we don't know Him except through the experience of Jesus Christ. When life happens, and then I shook the stool... What happens? you know the, the blocks all fell down, the figure falls to the ground. Of course God's still there. I said that's because when trouble happens and you know you've, you've got this feeling that everything's awesome and everything everything's going to be awesome because I, I'm living this blessed life because I have figured out how to make God take care of me. And then trouble comes, that knocks you off your butt because you had your faith, not really based in God, but based in what God would do. And I got news for you. Sometimes God lets us suffer. Sometimes God lets a guy who was doing absolutely nothing wrong, who had all kinds of potential and was a great children's pastor and a servant hearted person. Sometimes he lets that guy get depressed, lets him go through it, doesn't heal him. Okay? Sometimes he lets people lose their babies. Sometimes he lets people get murdered. Sometimes he lets people's kids run away or get hooked on drugs or grow up. Sometimes he lets people marry the wrong person. Sometimes he lets people get fired. Get hit by a car. Have their kids tell them they hate them. Bad things happen. But for some reason, we have decided that there's a certain level of bad stuff that can never happen to us. But there are people out there that know better. There's a lady I know. She's lost like four babies. Four babies. Loves God more than I do. I don't know how she does it. I I need to ask her. How'd you do it? How'd you not get bitter? How'd you not... Get angry that God let you go through that for no reason. like the best person in the world. So, in my little example, I rebuilt my structure. So here's how it's supposed to be. And I put Bible, of course, on the stool. Then I put the block. I have to go back to a block because the figure won't work. It was a block. A little plate or something, you know. And then I put all the other stuff. Because I'm like, there's nothing wrong, really, with believing, you know, hoping in God that hoping that your life's going to be blessed and hoping that God does the best for you. And I shook it and all that crap fell off, of course. But guess what? You and you know, in the in the Bible were still connected. Why? Because your foundation was firm. And when life I thank God, I mean, even with my situation, I I I can tell you a lot of the stuff I thought I had on the upside of that diagram was really underneath because I really believed, I mean, I believed to a certain extent that why wouldn't God want me to live a blessed life? I was doing his will. I was this pastor. I was this minister. And and my, I, I literally believe that God did not allow things to happen to us that I'd seen happen to other people because not we were special, but because he was using us, because he wanted us, you know, in this key position to do these great things for God. And I learned that when you submit your life to God, you, you can't give it and then say, okay, but as long as it's good. And I tell you, this is an American mentality, and I'll tell you why. Because imagine the Christians in China who are persecuted. Imagine the Christians in Uganda that have to walk miles to go to church. Do you think those people have a me-centered mentality about God? Do you think those people think that God only just gives us blessings and blessings and blessings? No. In China, your life gets worse. And you become a Christian, not better. At least, you know the outside part. And that's what my friend meant when he said, "It's not about now; it's about then." So again, if uh, if I do min—I I, I want to do ministry again. I do. I am a pastor. I'm a minister. I'm a I'm a missionary. I, I'm a person that loves God and wants other people to know him because I truly believe with everything in me that he created this universe. I don't know how. I don't know all the ins and outs. But I know he's real. I know he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross to take away my sins. And that the one good thing that I know he does for everyone that accepts Jesus that confesses with their mouth and believes in their heart that God raised Jesus from the dead. He forgets all your bad stuff. And, you know, we always, there's always things about judgment, you know, judgment. You gotta, you gotta go get judged. People worry. Even Christians worry. But when you have Christ... I don't know, there's this concept that, that God when you ask for forgiveness, the Bible says that He puts the memory of your sin as far as the east is from the west. And, you know, simple geometry. You know that a linear plane that goes off infinitely in both directions. So it's it's a little play on words, a little poetry, but it's, but it's a symbol of the infiniteness of, of God's forgetfulness. How He chooses to forget even though he remembers every word that we've ever said, every thought we've thought. God gave me an image one time when I was trying to tell him how bad I was and how messed up I was. And he says, funny, I don't know. I, when I talk to God, it, it it's in my head and, and he can, when I know, I know it's him when it makes sense. When it's something that's not stupid. And um, I'll say it conversationally, but just know it came in a form of a thought, you know, because I used to really get tripped up on people saying they talked to God and God never talked to me that way. And I finally figured it out it's just when my brain makes sense. But I but I was like, you know, I'm, I'm screwed up. I can't be used anymore. Blah, blah, blah. And God's basically like, it's funny. I don't I don't see I don't know what you're talking about. All these things that you've done. He said, "Because when I look back, all I see is the times that you've obeyed. I saw when, I saw when you moved to Kansas City for for nothing, for no money, and worked underneath a youth pastor for two years doing bus ministry. A white kid in the middle of the hood trying to learn." How to not be intimidated by all of that and learn how to reach kids that are from a different culture and a whole different life. So I remember the times that you gave when, when uh, I asked you to, and the times you've moved when I've asked you to, and the places that I've asked you to go, and the things I've asked you to do. I don't. It's all I remember, and and it didn't come to me immediately how that worked until. Later on, it was like he puts the memory of our sins as far as the east is from the west. So that means, in God's eyes, when He looks back on your life, when you ask Him to forgive you of your sins, when you accept what Christ has done for you, He, for, he don't He doesn't just forgive your sins; He forgets them. He never brings them up. He puts them away far. Far away. And all he remembers is what you did right. I've heard pastors say, and I've said it myself, that when he looks at you, you know, he doesn't see your sin. He sees Jesus Christ and his blood that's shed for you. And I, you know, there's truth to that. I don't know where the scriptures are that say that. But I do know that in my experience, what I've experienced is is God still sees me. He just sees He sees a far improved version than I know I am. And I like that. I like that God forgets that He doesn't know stuff I know. You know, it's like having a spouse or a grandparent that thinks you're awesome when you're a kid. You know, not a spouse, but a grandparent. And you know you suck sneaky and bad and eat too much or whatever. But grandma thinks you walk on water and that just makes all the difference. So, I guess I'm done. Started <laughs> talking about church and ended up talking about Jesus. It's my journal, so this is the one show I don't have to worry about what anybody else thinks or if anybody listens or not. But as a result of that, you get to hear a little bit deeper into my heart than you do on nobody's listening or made my day. So if you're out there and you're like, you know, I've never been into the Jesus thing. You know what? Neither have I. Not the Jesus thing. I think you've got a pretty good view of how I feel about the Jesus thing. Jesus himself, I I got no problem with. I got problems with what people have done in his name. I got problems with what I've had to put up with (laughs) lately this past year. I'm still trying to figure it all out. But I just go back to what Narnia said about Aslan, which was supposed to be the image of Christ when he says, you know, basically the movie, and the books say it different, but the movie says something to the effect of, is he tame? Or no, 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 sorry. He says, is he good? Is he good? And he says, yes, Aslan is good. He is good. But he is not tame. And I have come to cling to that because I know God is good. But he is not tame. He is not Santa Claus. He is not my grandpa. He is not my dad. He is God. And if I could understand him, he would not be God. If I knew everything that there was to know, he would be able to be put in a box or inside my brain. I don't want a God that I can understand completely. When my daughter asks me questions, A lot of times I have to tell her, I don't know, the Bible doesn't say. And I think that's one of the strongest answers that a parent or a pastor can say. Because when you try to make up bullcrap, people know. And the only problem with making up bullcrap, it makes a really good story. And it helps people feel like there's an answer to their unanswerable questions. But when they find out it's not the truth and when life proves that tr- that little t truth wrong then they assume that all the other stuff you said is crap too. So if you're a person that has heard a bunch of crap about Jesus I challenge you to investigate Jesus for yourself yeah, well, why not why not check it out unlike other things you don't have to commit to what well, people think they do you don't have to go to a church don't go to a church to experience God if you're not a church person don't start there talk to him don't even pick up a bible first Just start with this thing of, God, if you're real, help me to experience you. And then start looking for Him in your life. Just look to see where He's working. And kind of follow that. And I guarantee you, you'll experience Him. And when you do, you will love Him. The natural result to meeting the real an actual God through Jesus Christ is love. That's why I I don't trip about atheists and people that say they don't believe in God because they haven't met Him. They don't know Him. You had a bad experience with somebody that said they were part of Him or in His organization, but uh, you don't. You no one has been of you know nobody's been turned off to god by god except for me <laughs> recently ah uh. Well, guys, that's GOK. It's hard to know how to end these things because me and my, my feelings on the subject just go on and on and on and on and on. And, and, and there's no end to the story because I, I have not figured out all the answers. You know, I said a bunch of stuff about the way church is supposed to be. I don't know how the way a church is supposed to be. I just know it's less about the building and more about the people. And it's less about the community and it's more about everybody that's around the community. And so it's not about looking inward and how can we connect to each other even more, even though that's part of it. It's about why we're connected with each other. And the why is trying to help other people go to heaven. Because the only thing bad that could ever be about going to heaven is if you go and everybody else you know don't. You say there's no tears in heaven. And I believe it. But I don't know how in the world I would go in looking over my shoulder at the accusing stares of all my friends and family So, I don't have the answers, but I'm looking for them. How about that? I don't even know if I need answers. I'm just going to look for where I see God move, and I'm going to join Him there. I'm not going to wait for Him to come to me. I'm not going to have a me-centered mentality anymore. I'm not going to assume that the rest of my life is going to be roses and cherries. And I'm not going to assume that my kids are always going to be healthy and perfect and awesome. And that is going to make me parent them differently. That is going to make me more desperate for time with them. And that is going to make me want to represent Christ to them. Because one day they're going to have to make their own choice. And PKs have to make a harder choice than the rest of the kids because they've seen it all. And they see all the negatives. It's like working at Disney World. You don't see the rides. You see all the trash, and you see the the time cards, and the employees, and the fussing and the fighting. So that's where I'm at, guys. Thank you so much for listening, and um, we'll see you next time. Talk. Maybe I'll talk about something happy next time. (laughs) I don't think this was unhappy. It's just challenging and kind of random and mostly just challenging. So uh, 54 minutes and 33 seconds later, I guess I'll, I'll let you go. Take care. And if there's a GOK moment for today, I would say, again, just look for God. Look for God. Because the Bible says, if you seek him, you, you will find him if you seek him with your whole heart. And all that means translated is, if you really want him, you're going to find him. And I'm telling you, there is something real and there's something worth investigating. You know, I'm not telling, I ain't talking about angels and demons and the devil and hell. And yeah, I ain't even mentioned a, a reward in heaven. I haven't talked about any of that. Talking about your relationship with God and connecting with Him. Because after all the crap I've been through this year, it sucked. It was hard. I don't know why it happened or why it was allowed. I don't know if God did it to me or if He let it happen or if there's a difference. But I will tell you now that I'm on this end of it, it was still worth it was worth it because i got over it and it's done and if it didn't leave if it didn't leave and i sucked for the rest of my life and i died miserable if i was faithful and faithful just means holding on to you know your faith remember that 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 example i gave you of being connected with god even if my life was horrible and i died I'd go to heaven. It'd be worth it. You say, what? I said, yeah. Now, I may have shared this thing before, but I've always kind of thought of it like going to Disney World. The, the trip to Disney World is hot and sticky and miserable. At least it was when I was a kid. You know, and and and, and you just, oh, when are we going to get there? When are we going to get there? It's just terrible. You have to pee, 100 million things. But the minute you get to Disney World... The trip is forgotten. The whole thing, no matter what, there is not one time in the history of mankind that somebody's gone into Disney World and said, no, let's just sit down for a minute and let's talk about what happened in the car. (laughs) Not a parent, not a kid, nobody. Because it was worth it. It's not about now. It's about then. Let's start from the beginning. It's not about me, it's about him. It's not about us, it's about them. And it's not about now, it's about then. Because my kids are watching me too, you know. So even if my life sucks, I still have to show them how somebody with a sucky life is supposed to act. Does it give me an excuse to be a mean person, a bitter person, an angry person, a less of a person, a less of a dad, less of a husband? Depression kind of takes that away from you, but I fought it tooth and nail, and I've come out on the other side, and I'm going to be better than I ever was. Am I glad it happened? Am I thankful for it? Freak no. But uh, I'm going to make sure it was worthwhile, that was worth it. I'm going to make sure it wasn't for nothing. Take care.